And so uh, my goals for this morning, three goals. I pray that first we'll be reminded of how short our life is. How short our life is and, and we'll be reminded that, that our king is, is coming back and he's coming back soon. And, and how we must live this rest of our time on earth correctly. So we'll be, we'll be reminded of our shorter lives. Our second, because he is holy and we call upon him as our holy father, we must also be holy. It's number two. And then three, what is holy? Right? Like practically, how do you be holy? What does that look like? How would we ever put our finger on what it looks like to be holy? Because I, I don't know if I've ever met an honest man that would look me in the face and be like, got it, holy, I did it, right? That's not, that's not it. So as far as just before we get into it, a, like a heartbeat of the book of First Peter, beginning to end, um, the apostle Peter, over and over again, he helps us and encourages us to look back Look back on, on, on who God is, who God was, or who God was and who God is. Look back. Look, at, look back at what he's done. And then, he, and then in, in that, he then tells us to look forward. Look forward to who God is today and what he's promised he will do. And then in light of those two realities, the whole book of 1 Peter is just teaching us how we must now live our lives in reality, in light of those two realities. And you see him, he just always goes back. We're starting in verse 13 of, of chapter 1, and, and from 13 on to the rest of the chapter, it's just kind of command, command, command. This is how you live in light of who he is. And let's look back to Jesus. And then there's an odd you know, disruption, but it just, just commands after commands of how we can live because of who God is and the holiness of God. So our pastor starts in verse 13 by saying, therefore. Therefore. And we know therefore often said is always there for a reason. So we want to look back into chapter 1 and, and try, to, um, try to grasp this thought that Peter is building upon as he moves into this portion. So in chapter 1, uh, if you look there with me, it's Peter is saying things like, blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Be because of his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to this living hope. And I think it's so cool that, that Peter, the Apostle Peter, is writing these things because he, he's actually recording scripture. He ran to that tomb and looked in and seen that his Savior had risen. And then he just left from there with this newfound boldness and, and courage to, to proclaim the gospel. And so he says, you know, um, we have this living hope through Jesus Christ because he's been resurrected from the dead. And he says things like, though you have not seen him, you love them Amen. for those who are, are believers. And, and, thou, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you have this joy. He just talks about this great salvation that has come to be. And at the end, the verse before where we start, it says even angels just long for this relationship that we have with the Father. That's such a mind-blowing thought for me. Angels long for this, what we have with, with our Father. And we can be sure right now, this second, at least four angels right now, it's recorded in Revelation, are, are around the throne of God and they're saying over and over and over again, holy, 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 
Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then after that, they say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is, is to come. That's what angels do, some angels, all the time. And then with that, it's almost in the corner of their eye, they're looking to see what God is doing with his people, and they long for it. But then they just go right back to praising God for his holiness. Just beautiful. So I just, um, let's, let's read the passage now, and then, and then we'll pray get into it. So read with me in in verse 13. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17, and if you call upon him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile or the rest of your time on earth. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he, he, was, he was known before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Let's pray, and then we'll start reading in verse 13. So. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Father, we, we just give you praise and we give you thanks, Lord, for your great mercy that has raised Jesus from the dead. Lord, that we can be born again now to this living hope. Father, we thank you, Lord. And we ask in light of these things, you will enable us Lord, to conduct ourselves in every way obedient to you. I thank you, Lord, for how you've convicted me and shown me in ways which I, I so often go back to my, my futile, my former ways, my pointless ways, Father. And I pray that this morning, from the reading and the power of your word, Lord, in the name of Jesus, you will, you will um, speak with conviction and power, and you will make your word manifest among us or today, this morning. Father, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, verse 13. Therefore, or in light of these things, our great salvation, we must prepare our minds, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we must, he's telling us to prepare our minds and set our hope on that grace that will be ours. So just to clarify, we have already been shown grace, right? Grace upon grace upon grace. We've been born again to this living hope, right? But there's also, as First Peter's reminding us of what will come, there's a grace that will be ours someday. Um, at, at, and we, when we will be made like him at his return. First Thessalonians speaks of this. 
Uh, I'll read it for you. First Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall raise first, and then we who are still alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So he says, with our hope set on that, let's prepare our minds. Prepare our minds for action. It's like, get ready for battle, but with your mind. Like, like, like get ready. Um, the, the message remix says, give your head a shake. Give your head a shake, because look what's, look what's coming. Look what's what will be ours, and, and prepare your, your mind, your thoughts for, for action. 1 Peter 4, 1 is almost a, a mirrored verse. I'll kind of paraphrase it for you. It says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, like that of Jesus. So in order to live the rest of your life in the flesh or on earth, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And so taking our minds, um, getting our minds ready for action. Second Corinthians, so you've probably heard this verse. In chapter 10, it says, take, take every thought captive, right? Take every thought captive for obedience to Jesus Christ. That, that portion of scripture, it's one of my favorite. It's, it's, it's talking about like a war or battle terms, right? And it's that idea of like taking captive, like, you know, a war, you, you take a, a fugitive, right? A, and, and you get someone in from the other, the, um, from the other army. And, and you what? You interrogate them, right? You say, Okay, where'd you come from? Where, who are you with? Why are you here? What's, what's your plan, right? You take that, that person captive in war. And it's the same idea with our thoughts. We don't just wrestle them out and, and, and try to stop thinking that way. We, we actually take our thoughts captive in preparing our minds. We think, you know, why am I thinking this way? Right, or, or how, how long have I been believing this or or where did this thought come from? And, and so we prepare our minds f- for battle through our thoughts. This is a quote, I, I don't remember uh, exactly who said it, but it says, Christ's return not only encourages downcast, downcast Christians, but it also prompts us, recorded, um, prompts us to a reordering of priorities according to God's agenda. So our life is so short, right? There's so many kid kind of magic tricks and illustrations with that long rope. And our, kid, our, our life is so short. We hear that, we forget that, but it's true. The second it began, it already started coming to an end. It's just the inevitable, right? And, and the second we die, just a flood of babies will come after us, right? With, with very short lives. And so to prepare our minds, or how we do that is we set our hope on what will come uh, when we will be made like him. And without getting into it, the alternative of this truth that we're talking about is, is um, well, it, it's terrifying. So then verse 14, it says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. like obedient children. This, this is a picture of adoption, right? We've been adopted into this family of God. And without going all into that, it's just that picture of like an orphan, 
right? The, an orphan who's went home to home and, and doesn't have that family. A, a beautiful family now adopts him, brings them into their home, being their new parents. And then they say to this child, just please don't go back to your old, that old life, right? Come into our home, please. We invite you into our home. I want you to call me dad, your father, and I want you to call this your, your mom, and we're going to call you children. And you're going to be now heirs to our, to our inheritance, right? And, and we're going to treat you like, our, like one of our own. And so he says, like obedient children, don't return to your former ignorance. Don't go back to your old lifestyle. John chapter 1 speaks of this verse. In verse 12, it says, of, of children of God, he says, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor will of the flesh, but of the, or the will of man, but of, were born of God. Amen. So as obedient children, do not return to your old lifestyles. Or another way we could say it is, as people who obey God, do not let yourselves be shaped by your evil desires, which you used to have while you're still ignorant. And that's, and it's just, I know you know, but I'll remind you, like that going back to our evil desires is, is our default. We're in the flesh. Paul says, that which I don't want to do, I do. And that which I strive for, I often, I don't. And now this is so hard. It's so hard to do, right? We're so affected by the people in the world around us. And we, and we want so bad to, be, to fit in, uh, to be like them. And so it's hard. I've, I've heard this quote before. People often won't be surprised of, of what you do, but rather those people will be surprised at, at what you don't do. To illustrate that, my, um, my friend, my, my good friend, Justin, he got saved in his late, I'm not actually 100% sure, it was later on in his life, in his late 20s, I believe. And he got saved. And he's a passionate believer that has encouraged me uh, many times. And he recalls and he tells a story, and he would likely tell you the story with a tear in his eye. He says, you know, I, I recall when I, when I got saved, when I was born again to this living hope, all of my friends, they, they didn't really pay much attention to the fact that I started praying, right? They, they didn't actually really seem to be bothered or care by the fact that I now believed in God, like that, right? Even the fact that he, he started going to church every Sunday was almost like, was almost honorable to his unbelieving friends. Right? They're like, oh, that's good for you. Like, we're, we're happy for you. Right? But then he says, it wasn't until I started refraining myself from my old lifestyles that we all did together that they just didn't know how to take it. Right? They weren't surprised at what he was doing. They are surprised at what he's no longer doing. Some of them didn't understand why he would ever withhold himself from the sensuality or, you know, the, the thrills, the excitement that the world can offer. But he was saved from that, and he was born again to a living hope. So that's what this verse is asking of us. Don't be shaped by your old passion of your flesh. 1 Peter 4, 4 to 5 says, With respect to this, they, meaning the world, the unbelievers, they will be surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. 
and they will malign you. Or the CJB says, they will heap insults on you. And unfortunately, this is often enough, this is, this is um, often enough for us to just throw up our hands, you know, when people start, you know, maligning us or heaping insults upon us for, for what we're not doing anymore or what we're doing. We're just like, okay, I just want to be, I want to be accepted by you. But we must be a people who seeks approval, not by the world, but we need to be people who seek approval from our Holy Father. Right, so verse 15, let's look at that. Don't be conformed by the passions of your former ignorance as obedient children, but verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you must also be holy in all your conduct. This verse starts with a but, which follows that same train of thought, right? In contrast to being shaped by our evil desires, we must be holy. We must be holy now because, because the one who called us into this new life, the one who caused us to be born again through Jesus, the one who adopted us into his family and now calls us children, and now asks us to call him his heavenly father because he is holy, now we must be holy in all of our conduct, it says. All of our conduct. And now why? Why must we be holy? Again, verse 16, our next verse, it says, for it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And so for some context here, I think it's important, this, this verse, be holy, for I am holy. Peter is quoting Leviticus, right? And I think this will, will help us to just feel the weight of this command, where this comes from. It's in Leviticus 19, if you want to turn there. Um, right, so, so Abraham, just for quickly, go down this rabbit trail. Abraham was not the first Jew. Okay, so he weren't following me, just maybe that was like, what, what, right? Abraham, he wasn't the first Jew, right? His father wasn't a Jew, or sorry, Abraham's father was not the first Jew. Abraham, he was. All right, because God, God decided to come down and, and, and say, Abraham, from this point on, not because of your heritage, but from this point on, everyone who comes from your line it's going to be called a Jew, an Israelite. They're going to be, they're going to be known as, as my people. And he did that so specifically. Right? And then, and then later on, he, he brings his people, he saves them out of Egypt. He saved them from their bondage, and he gave that little family that he was starting a glimpse of his holiness, of how he, of how he is holy. And he, and he provided them with gracefully with the Ten Commandments of how to be accepted by this holy God who I want you to call me as father. And so the purpose of it all is as once he had this family that was led and directed by our, the holy God, the rest of the world would see that they are different, that they are set apart, that they are led by God. So Leviticus 19.2 is, is where this verse is quoted from. And I'll read it for you. It says, And then Yahweh spoke to Moses, and he says, Speak to all the community of the Israelites, and say to them, You must be holy, because I am holy. I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. Each one of you must revere your mother and your father, and you must keep my, my Sabbaths, for I am Yahweh, your God. 
You must not turn to idols, and you must not make for yourselves gods of cast metal, for I am Yahweh, your God. Let me read this quote for you from R.C. Sproul. He says this. He says, How we understand the person and the character of God, the Father, affects every aspect of our lives. It affects far more than what we normally call the religious aspects of our lives. If God is the creator of the universe, then it must follow that he is the Lord of the whole universe. Which means no part of this world is outside of his lordship. That means that no part of our lives must be outside his lordship. His holy character has something to say about economics, about politics, about athletics, about romance, about everything that we are involved. So, unquote. God's holiness must affect every aspect of our lives. So now, what is holiness, though? Right? That I think that's that's the question that we're asking. What it, what is it? What does that look like? And I think to answer this question, what is holiness? I think we need to first determine and figure out what holiness is is certainly not. Okay. So two things: um, holiness is not the same as religion. Holiness is not the same as religion. And maybe you'll say, duh. Well, like, obviously, right, holiness is not the same as religion. Simply going to church, um, not cursing, not cheating on our taxes, and giving to the poor, all those things, that's, that's, not, that's not a picture of holiness. That is not the holiness that the scripture, that God asks us to be. And then the second, holiness is not mere authenticity. Holiness is not authenticity. Now, this is something that um, I'll mention. We'll kind of go down for a second. I've, this is an area uh, for sure that, I, that I've personally struggled with. Um, pursuing authenticity rather than, than holiness. And so... To explain that, you know, we see evangelicalism has, has swung so far from the hard-cut legalism that has previously been in our churches and our circles, right? And, and from that, we've, we've almost went the other way, where we, everyone just wants to seem, you know, real, and, um, you know, and I want to seem genuine, and I want to seem um, authentic and relatable. In some cases, that desire, it has been for me, um, to not seem legalistic has almost replaced the pursuit of of holiness. I I am guilty of this. For example, um, a personal example, uh, it's easy sometimes to come home uh, to to Jessica, my wife, and admit, you know, that maybe I've messed up or I've uh, I've been a lousy husband that day or I've... uh, haven't been a go- the godly man that I, need, that I need to be, right? I can come home and I can admit that. But then just leave it there. You know, like, the, sorry for how I've been kind of messing up, but then just, just leave it there. And all, and, and all that is is just, a, is just confessing our, our shortcomings 
without repentance, without violently turning away from that thing that we're confessing to pursue holiness and, and that which is lovely and true, right? And, and it's just, we see it's, it's an increased like okayness to air out our dirty laundry before other people so that they know for sure that, you know, I know I've missed the mark. You know, I know that I struggle, but then we can sit there and be happy that we've been authentic and relatable and we miss that mark of pursuing holiness. And so what is holiness? If that's not what it is, it's not religious holiness and it's not just being an authentic, relatable person. What is holiness? Simply put, very simply put, holy, holy is just the way God is. Holy is the way God is. He's set apart. He's the holy other. Good news, the, he has, that, the holy one, he's revealed much about himself in the scriptures and in his word. And the Bible's full examples, it is full of examples of God's utter holiness, presenting him as, on one hand, majestic and beautiful and, 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 and holy, but on the other hand, something that is so powerful that every man that has ever come into contact just falls down in fear. It's beautiful, but it, we can't be around it. So holiness is, is God's complete perfection in every aspect of he, who he is. Right? It's, it's his perfect characteristic. So just think about who God would be for a moment with, without his holiness, okay? So you think of God's like all-knowing, right? He's omniscient. He knows all things all the time. And think about who, who that would make him being all-knowing but then not being holy. Like how, who would that make him to be? Picture him, he's, he's um, omnipresent. He's, he's everywhere at once all the time but then not to be holy, or he's eternal. He was never created, and he will never cease to exist, but then not being holy. Holy is like his perfect characteristic that, that if we take out a whiteboard and, and draw, okay, who's God, and we love and, and, and all of these things, holy, we could just draw a line through all of those things because it's, it's what makes him him. Okay, so, so but practically, just kind of, Practically, what does that look like in our lives? That utter holiness that's beautiful and fearful, what does that look like for us, right? And you ask the question, will we ever be like that? No. Certainly not, absolutely not. We will never at any point on earth or any time in heaven get to this point where we are as holy as God is, right? He's set apart, he's other. That's not something we'll ever will ever reach to, will ever reach. Uh, yet, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 48, he says, therefore, you be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. So there's tension right here, right? And how do we, how do we make sense of this? An awesome passage that uh, I think kind of sheds light on, on this tension is 2 Corinthians uh, 7, verse 1. And I'll, I'll read that for you, starting in chapter 6. God is, is saying, I will make my dwelling among them, 
and I will walk among them, and I will be their people. Uh, I'm sorry, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out into their midst, or go out into the world, but be separate from them. Right? Don't touch any unclean thing, and then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me of the Lord God Almighty. And verse 1 of chapter 7 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Bringing holiness to the completion in the fear of God. So turn with me to, to verse 17 in our passage. It says, be holy for I am holy. Verse 17 starts with, I think, a scary word, if. If. It says, and if you, be holy for I am holy, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. If you call him father, walk with fear for the rest of your stay on earth. I just want to ask you, um, if you call him father, does, does everyone in your life, if you are someone who calls him father and you say, he's my holy father and I'm his children, does everyone in your life know that you call him heavenly father? That you call him father? Is that true for you? Just hope that'll expose that for you. If there's people in your life who you've been walking with for a day, a two, a year, and they, you know, they still don't know that I actually call on the eternal, holy creator of heaven as, as my father, because he's adopted me into this family and given me this new hope and forgiven me of my sin, and like he's my father. Does everyone you rub shoulders with know that? Know that you call him your heavenly father. It's, it's, it's a scary verse, if you call him father, then you, you better walk in fear. Uh, King Solomon has this famous verse at the end. He, the richest man maybe to ever live, maybe wisest man, he concludes his whole, his whole writing, his whole book by saying at the end of all that, at the, at the end of, of the matter, after everything has been said and, and heard, King Solomon says this, fear God. Fear God and keep his commandments because this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. King Solomon says at the end of my life, at the end of this letter, just fear God and obey his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. So at the, the second part of verse 17, if you call him Father, then conduct yourselves with fear. What we're, what we're kind of getting here is just like this deliberate, intentional obedience to our Father that we must pursue. And now, church, I, I do want to say there's a, there's a danger in pursuing holiness which is motivated purely by fear of who he is and, and motivated purely by the judgment that will come. Right, that, that's not right. That's not how we pursue holiness. But as we know, fear is 
is a motivator, right? I, I would ask you, I, I know my wife, I know myself, I know many youth as they were going through testimonies at youth group. So many people say, I, well, you know, I was, I was like five or six and I just like, I was terrified of the thought of going to hell and so I went to my mom or my dad and I said, how do I get saved, right? That's how so many of us were, were, were pushed to see him for who he is and, and ask for forgiveness. So it's not, it'd be wrong for that to be our only motivator, but it is certainly um, one. Tyler Johnson, he, we were talking about this passage together and, and he said, be holy for I am holy is really an invitation to wholeness. It's an invitation, invitation to wholeness. God inviting us into his holiness, not asking us to go figure it out and become holy on ourselves, right? It's an invitation to come, come be like me. So uh, three ways, three ways we must pursue holiness that we see in scripture. Um, first, we become holy, and I'll repeat this because I think this is key. First, we become holy by standing in awe of our holy father. Okay? reading of him and, and thinking about who he is and what he's done and what he will do and, and his utter holiness that's beautiful and, and fearful and just standing in awe of that. Humbling ourselves under that mighty hand of God. Um, my wife is teaching uh, her grade four class right now. They do like a devotional from the scripture um, at the beginning of every morning. And she's right now, or, or I think Thursday, was how to stand in awe of God. And so, silly, but she, practiced, she taught all her kids to say ah without saying anything, so it just looks like, you know, like just, just standing in awe of him, who he is. So that's the first one. We, we become holy by just thinking and, and meditating on him and, and who he is and his holiness. And then, and then secondly, we become holy by surrendering ourselves to the resurrected life of our Savior Jesus Christ, giving ourselves to that, surrendering ourselves to the life that has been raised again by our Holy Father through Jesus. And then thirdly, as Jesus says in John 17, make holy them or sanctify them by your truth because your word is truth. So thirdly, we become holy by looking into his word and letting it, letting it, excuse me, change us. So we become holy by looking at him, standing in awe, pursuing the resurrected life of Christ, surrendering ourselves to, ourselves to him, his way, the example he's left for us. And then thirdly, by just meditating and spending time in, in, the, in the word of God. Those are three like tangible ways for sure. And now verse 18, uh, read that. So if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And then verse 18 says, for knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways or the pointless ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So holiness here is not acquired through anything else but the resurrected life of Jesus living in and, and through us, right? Holiness is provided by God and provided by God alone and not of ourselves. 
And we know this. We know that like the worst sinner ever, maybe you know or you could dream of, like the worst offender to the Holy of Holies, like he, he can be born again, right? He could be made new. He could be made holy, not because what he did, but because God made him new, a new creation, through sending the life of Jesus to, to be lived through him, forgiving him of his wrong, making him a new creation in Christ, like the Holy Father. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 you don't need to turn there, but it says, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might now become the righteousness of God. So now in conclusion, um, just wrap this up. I just want to ask you, I want to invite you to, um, to look upon Jesus with me for a moment. Gaze upon his perfect surrender and obedience to the Father. Look at the example that he has so clearly laid out for us. And before we do that, um, just to everyone, there is, there is such a danger, um, such a danger, and it would be a great sin for us all to, to stand up from here and, and go out Focusing purely on obedience and missing the fact that God is the one that provides holiness for you. That would be wrong. If that's what you get, then I have greatly failed. That's not it. That's a danger and that would be a sin. But I also want to say, and I also need to say, that I, th I think, and I think scripture says this clearly, without that holiness which none will see with the Lord, Right, I think the greater sin or the greater danger of getting up and leaving here is to leave being comfortable in ourselves with no sense of urgency to submit ourselves to the God because, hey, it's not us. It's him who does it. Amen. Right, that, that would be the, the worst sin, the greater danger. And, and we be, we're so quick to say, well, we, we have not been saved by our works, right? And, and amen, for sure. Let me read you that passage that we're familiar with. For by grace you have been saved, right? Through faith, and that it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But the next verse it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, Christ, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in that way. So yes, it's true that we aren't saved by our doing, but scripture makes it so clear, too clear, that the man or the woman that is made holy by the grace of God will um, indeed submit their ways to the holy God. So, Let's just look in Scripture, look at Jesus, and uh, allow Scripture to, to confirm that for us this morning uh, before we close. So, uh, three verses. Can we just, uh, Philippians, we'll turn to Philippians chapter 2, and I'll read verse 2, or verse 5 to 8. Philippians chapter 2, 
verse 5 to 8. It's talking about how Jesus was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. In verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's almost reminding us to prepare our minds, right? Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, Jesus, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even obedient to the point of death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that, every, so that at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of our heavenly Father. He was obedient even to the point of death, to the point of death on a cross. Now turn to Hebrews with me. This was, um, this is a verse that the Lord used in my life uh, in the first couple years of my salvation to convict me out of my complacency. And so it, I think it's so appropriate. We'll read Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. It's talking about Jesus on his stay, on his short stay on earth. And it says, in the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence or his fear. And although Jesus was not a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus, he was made perfect through his obedience to the Father and because of that has now become the eternal source of salvation for everyone who obey him. And then finally, Romans, uh, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. There's a, there's a progression here, four things. Um, Romans chapter 6 verse 22 says but now that you have been set from sin uh, set free from sin and have become slaves of God the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life because the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord and so that's, that's just a clear progression for us we've been set free right from our sin from our bondage so that we may become slaves to God, which in that will then lead to holiness, which will lead to eternal life, freed from our sin, so that we may be slaves of God, which will produce that holiness. And so let's just, just in closing, just to recap, think through the passage again, right? We need to leave here with a sense of urgency, with a sense of fear, realizing that we'll, we could never do it ourselves and that we will never be like him, but we're going to surrender ourselves to Jesus, right? And the passage, it tells us, it, it, it lays it out so well, 
It says, prepare your minds. Prepare your minds for action. Right? And like obedient children, conduct yourselves with fear for the rest of your time on earth. Right? As we look towards that grace will be ours. And he says, for, for if you call him holy, the Father who has called you holy, he also commands you to be holy in all your conduct. He says, be holy for I am holy. And if we are people who call upon him as our, as our Father, we must conduct ourselves with fear, knowing that we were bought with a precious price, not silver or gold, but the precious blood of Jesus. Jesus. 